Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, good morning. It's nice to be with you all. Uh, my name's Joseph Gibson. Uh, I thought I'd maybe introduce myself. I'm one of the delegates here at the Waynesboro Free Methodist Church, uh, alongside Dave and Truman. Uh, so if you have a problem, want to talk to somebody, see Dave or Truman. Um, uh, my background is in uh, philosophy. Uh, and so uh, you know what they say about philosophers, that philosophers can go down deeper, stay down longer, and come up drier than anybody else. Um, now, at this point, I should maybe say, let me see if my little clicker works here. Hey. Um, that what I'm going to be talking to you guys about today is Psalm 119. Now, for those of you who don't know, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. Uh, so you have a philosopher addressing the longest chapter of the Bible. So I hope you guys don't have supper plans. Um, notice I didn't say lunch plans, like lunches, that's gone, that's out the window. Um, uh, but no, uh, what I want to do is kind of give a thematic overview of this. Let me talk about kind of our plan for today, how I want to approach things. Um, I want to begin by talking to you guys about a certain kind of life that has some value in it, but it also has some limitations to it, and how we can be prone to apply that in the wrong way. And then, uh, because of that, I want to talk about how Psalms 119 is really a solution to this wrong way of living and approaching things. And so I'll give us a brief overview of Psalm 119, and we'll be largely focusing on kind of like the main theme of Psalm 119, rather than digging into each of the 176 verses that are in it. Um, and then I want to present Psalm 119 as a living example, a living example for the solution of this problem that we face here. Um, now, uh, today is Father's Day. Uh, I'm very fortunate. My father is here, um, and uh, my dad taught me a lot of really good things. Uh, he taught me how to split wood, about the importance of hard physical labor, about providing for your family. Um, he also uh, taught me a lot of entirely useless trivia uh, that nobody will ever want to hear or know. I also learned the answer to the question, uh, how are you doing, should always be, I was doing well and then I woke up. Um, I also learned uh, important life skills like what you can and can't choose in life. Um, so you can pick your friends. And it's important that you do that well. So you can pick your friends, and you can also pick your nose. But you can't pick your friend's nose. Uh, very important uh, things I learned from my father. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, our family, we were kind of like always interested in into firearms and stuff. And one of the things that my dad was always attracted to was stainless steel, stainless steel firearms, right? So if you had the option between like a blued one or a stainless steel, oh, you always went for the stainless steel. That, that stainless steel, it'll resist corrosion. It'll last a whole lot longer. It's nice and shiny. Oh, you don't have to have to take care of it so much. It can be self-lubricating. Stainless steel. Stainless steel is the way to go. Um, and 
uh, there's a lot of value to that. And in fact, that idea of approaching getting things of value, getting things that are well-made, that will be durable and will last, can kind of become like a way of approaching life. Um, and so it's kind of what I called like the stainless steel lifestyle or the stainless steel approach. Um, and if we were to give it sort of like a slogan or like a little mantra, this repeated phrase, it would be something like this. Get what is permanent and lasting so you don't have to worry about it or devote your time and resources to it, right? When you buy a lawnmower, you want the lawnmower to work. You don't want to be spending your time and your resources constantly like replacing parts on it, trying to get it to work, trying to get it to actually mow the grass. No, you want to spend your time and resources doing other stuff. When you buy a car, do you want a car that breaks down all the time? Like, no, you want to get a car that it will be reliable, that it will be dependable, so that rather than spending your time working on the car, right, you can spend your time at the places that you're trying to get to. Right? And um, there's a lot of value to this approach in life. Right? It allows us to, to turn our attention and resources to what really matters, to what's really important, and to what we're really interested in. Right? So uh, lawnmowers, uh, overall in the scheme of things, not that important. So we don't want them to eat up too much of our time or too much of our resources. Um, now, I do recognize that there's a little bit of a caveat here, and that would be the men that fall into the group called tinkerers, right? They always like to try and tinker and fix things, and they enjoy doing that. But I think even then, this like sort of stainless steel approach to life has some applications there, right? So maybe somebody loves working on cars, and they like buying junk cars, and they like fixing them up. Um, but I'll guarantee you they don't want to, like, replace a fuel pump, like, five times over, right? No, they're going to get, like, the nice, dependable fuel pump so that they don't have to go through all of this work of, like, draining the gas tank and pulling the gas tank off and putting the pump in there. It's like, no, just get the pump that'll last, right, so that I can spend my time doing what I'm interested in, fixing other things, not repairing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, or maybe for you ladies, I don't want to stick uh, too much to Father's Day stuff, right? Do you want a sewing machine that you're always having to fix um, or retime, or do you want one that just works, right? You want it to work so that you can spend your time doing what? Making things, right? You want to invest your time in what you're interested in, and it's not fixing sewing machines. It's, you know, sewing new clothes or making a purse, that sort of thing like that. Um, and so the question I have, though, is, is does this uh, lifestyle um, have limitations? It certainly has some good things to it, um, but does it have any limitations? And I think very clearly the answer is yes. While it has some good, it has good only in a few areas, and we need to be careful that we don't apply it to all of the areas of our life. Now, the main area that I think that this has a, a, a limitation is with living things. If you think about it, all of us are living things. And this stainless steel approach does not fit living things. It doesn't fit life. Um, let me give a couple examples of you guys. Bodily life. How many of you have ever had a good night's sleep? Just like one. Not, not like every night, but just you had one good night of sleep. Right, okay. And so you never need to sleep again, right? You got that one nice night of sleep, and now you're good to go for the rest of your life. How many of you have ever had a nice meal? 
Yeah, right? And now you're never hungry again, right? You got that nice meal, you got that stainless steel meal, and now you're good to go. No more meals for you for the rest of your life. No, our bodies, right, they need constant renewal. They need constant investment. We need to sleep every day. We need to eat every day. The same thing is true of your relationships, right? How many of you had friends? You had a good time with that friend, and you said, wow, this was really enjoyable. I don't ever need to see you again. I had fun with you once. That fun has now been accomplished. Goodbye. No, like relationships don't work that way, right? They need constant renewal. They need constant attention. And what about love, right? You met somebody special. You married them. You went on a honeymoon. You had this wonderful time of being alone, of being intimate with each other. And you said, great, that'll do for me. Um, and I hope this never happens to us again. Uh, yeah, probably not, right? Um, uh, or how many of uh, you wives would like it if your husband was like, I have complimented you, I said that you look nice, I will never say it again. Uh, right? No, we want constant affirmation, love, relationship, um, and even things like knowledge. Um, now, uh, let me put this up here. Um, now I'm really in trouble, right? So we have a philosopher addressing the longest chapter of the Bible, and now I'm talking about algebra. Um, if any of you stay awake through the, uh, <laughs> through the sermon, you, you deserve the bacon that you got. Um, uh, I'll guarantee you, probably every person here at one point in your life could solve this. How many of you can still solve it? <laughs> it kind of slips away, doesn't it? Right? Even knowledge, even what we know, it's not this like durable, lasting stuff. It's not made out of stainless steel. We forget things. Right? And so even our knowledge, our beliefs, they need this constant renewal and attention or else they drift away. And we can't do it anymore. The answer is three, by the way. For those of you that were, I see some of you getting distracted and trying to figure it out. The answer is three. Um, <clears throat> now, what I think that this points out to us is a fundamental problem that we have. Our problem is that we're prone to treat these areas in life, our knowledge, our love, and our relationships, as being something that fits under that stainless steel life, right? That we pay attention to once, and then we go off so that we can pay attention to the other things that interest us or distract us. Um, I think C.S. Lewis kind of put this problem very nicely. Um, and he said it this way, uh, that there's this wrong assumption, and that is, it's always assumed that the difficulties of faith are intellectual difficulties. That a man who has once accepted a certain proposition, you can just think of that as a belief or a statement, will automatically go on believing it till real grounds for disbelief occur. And that assumption is false. We regularly give up beliefs. We regularly lose knowledge. We, we regularly lose relationships and loves and interests because we stop feeding them. We stop taking care of them, and they slowly die and deteriorate. And so we see that we have a problem. Um, uh, our problem is that in these areas, 
particularly these last three. That's what I want to focus on. I'm guessing probably none of us struggle with this idea of like, I thought I didn't even have to eat every day. I'm so glad that you're telling me that I need to eat and sleep every day. No, we kind of get that this works with bodily stuff. But knowledge, relationships, love, those are the areas that we're prone to stumbling in, right? And so our problem is that we start treating these living things as being part of the stainless steel life. Um, and by the way, those, those three that are up there, those are the three most important things. That's why you exist. You exist to love others and to be loved by others. You exist to know others and to be known by them. And you exist to serve, to be in loving relationship with others, and to be served by others. And you can see that any unhealthy relationship is one where one of those is missing, right? If you love someone and you sort of serve them and you know them, but they don't know you, that's not a healthy relationship. That means you're a stalker. Right? Stalkers are people that know someone and that are interested in them, but that other person doesn't know them. If one of those things is missing, that's an unhealthy relationship, right? Or if you're the one that's constantly doing the serving and the other person isn't serving you, isn't loving or taking care of you, that's not a healthy relationship. Or perhaps one of the hardest relationships of all is when you love someone and they don't love you back. That's called heartbreak. That's one of the most difficult things that we face in life. And so these three things, they're not just sort of like three little sections of our lives. No, this is our life. This is the most important part of who we are, and we're prone to get it wrong. Um, so let me try and kind of state this problem that I've been talking about real clearly. Our problem is that our love, our knowledge, and our relationships are subject to deterioration. Now I want to point out that God does not have this problem. This is a result of our weakness. This is a result of our finitude. And God is infinite. God is infinite in strength. And he's not subject to these weaknesses. That's why um, his love is everlasting. That's why his knowledge is unlimited, right? It's why we can stake our lives in him. It's why, as the author of Hebrews says, he can serve as an anchor for our souls. Or like what James says, he says that God doesn't change like shifting shadows. We're prone to change like shifting shadows. We're prone to forget we're prone to mess up our promises, right, to fail on them. We're prone to not love others. God does not have that weakness. God does not have that difficulty. And so because we're weak, because we're finite, because we have this problem, um, uh, we need to address it. Now, before I go on to addressing it, I want to kind of say that there's a particular subset or an additional problem here that I want us to really focus on, and that's where... Um, we treat the Christian life. Notice that term, the Christian life. Where is it that the stainless steel 
life doesn't apply in living things, in actual life. That's the area where it doesn't apply. And so our, uh, the main issue, the main problem that I want to focus on here is that we can treat the Christian life as being like the stainless steel life. Well, I said a prayer once. I believed something once. I went to a church service one time. I became a member. I went to a Bible study. What more do you need from me, right? I got the stainless steel little, you know, certificate or diploma of graduating Awanas. I'm good to go. I can now shift my interest to the things that I care about. It doesn't work that way. The Christian life needs constant renewal and constant attention. Or else it, too, is prone to die, to deteriorate, to be lost. Um, and so, so here's our problem. Our love, knowledge, relationships, subject to deterioration. And this is especially true in the Christian life. Where we're prone to not give it the attention that it needs. So what should we do? What's the solution? Well, I think Psalm 119 offers us a nice solution here. So let's, let's look at that. Um, let me begin by just kind of giving a brief introduction to it. Um, don't worry, we're not going to get into the Hebrew too much. I've stretched you guys enough with the philosophy um, and the algebra. Um, but as I mentioned, Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And I actually think that that's important. It's important that it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's what's called an acrostic. An acrostic is a poem that either kind of like spells out a word or that goes through the alphabet, right? So maybe you could think of something like this. Dad, right? Something like uh, dependable. A, uh, I forgot. I forgot my my three things here. So let's see here. D, dependable. A, yeah. You guys help me out. What would you say? I'm sorry. <laughs> Could you say it again, Leah? Agile. Uh, that's only yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> does anyone have one that I could maybe relate to? <laughs> Uh, dashy. Okay, so we'll say uh, dependable, agile uh, for some of us, and dashing, right? So D-A-D, dad, right? Do you see how that spells out, dad? Um, that's kind of what Hebrews does. So what it is, is each verse starts out with one particular letter of the alphabet. And so what I have up here are actually the first eight verses in Hebrew. Now in Hebrew, it's a little weird. You read from right to left. If you see the letters that are circled on the far right, they're all the same. Every verse in 1 through 8 starts with the letter A with an Aleph. Um, and then from 9 to I think it's 16, they all start with B. And then the next set, they all start with C. And the next set, they all start with D or the Hebrew equiv equivalent to each one of those. And so it's an acrostic. You have a section that's on each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, now, what's the topic of Psalm 119? Um, well, it's a little hard to summarize 176 verses. Uh, but I think uh, if, if I had to put it, I, I would say this. It's about the goodness of God. The goodness of God's word and of the author's sustained commitment to it. Do you see how that differs fundamentally from that stainless steel approach? It's not a one-time uh, affirmation of it. It's sustained, continued 
commitment. Um, now, let me look at, at kind of how this theme is developed throughout. And again, I just kind of want to give like um, a, sort of a topical or overview of it. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, just this idea of continued sustained effort of working hard continually over time to understand God's law and to love it and to follow it. Uh, kind of like a key verse here would maybe be verse 5 where the writer says, I hold fast to your statues. Now picture this. Imagine you're like dangling off a ledge, right? And you're holding onto a bar. Does that fit the stainless steel life, right? Well, I gripped it once and so now I can let go. I'll just stay there for forever. No, it takes continued, sustained effort. If you relax on that, what happens? You or it falls away, right? It goes away. Continued, sustained effort is implied in this idea of holding. And there's a couple other words I kind of wanted to focus on here. Walking, right? What happens as soon as you stop putting effort forwards? You stop moving. You have to continually work in order to walk, right? So walking, it's not like being on one of those fancy walkways at an airport that maybe you've seen, you know, where it's like an escalator that you just kind of step on and it shoots you off. Walking doesn't work that way, right? It's not like, well, I stepped on at one point. I'll just keep going in the faith. No, it takes continued, sustained effort, just like walking does. Um, and uh, that word for walking, it occurs three times in Psalm 119. Or for keeping, that idea is kind of like protecting, making sure that it's secure, that it's taken care of, constant uh, evaluation of it, constant protection of it, constant watching over it. Um, and uh, the Hebrew words for that, uh, they occur 31 times. 31 times the author talks about his sustained and continued effort towards keeping it, towards protecting it, towards making sure that God's word does not depart from him. Uh, five times uh, the author talks about seeking, right? Is seeking, does that kind of apply like, I looked and then like, okay, well, I'm done. No, seeking, it's a little different from like, just glancing, isn't it? There's a big contrast there. Continued, sustained effort towards finding something. Valuing it, treasuring it, and continuing after it. Pursuing it. Um, <clears throat> now, one of the main areas that I want to focus on is about our minds. How is it that we're using our minds? What is it that we're thinking about? And this is actually an important theme that occurs throughout Psalm 119. And so one of the main ways that the author talks about his continued sustained effort towards knowing and loving God and obeying him is about what he sets his mind on, what it is that he thinks about, what he contemplates, what he ruminates about as he lays in bed at night. That's a major theme of the verse. Um, and if there was like kind of one verse that I had to pick that summarized this theme nicely, um, I, I think I'd maybe do uh, verse 15. He says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Again, that idea of meditation, right? That's not a once and done thing. That's something that takes time. 
that's continued. I meditate on your precepts, on your commands, on your laws, and I consider your ways. And so he promises not to forget God's ways, and he promises to remember them. Uh, that idea of remembering is very interesting. You'll notice that it has that re part in there, re. It involves taking what was in your mind at one point and bringing it back again, right? That's that opposite of the stainless steel life. It was there, but I sort of forgot it, like algebra, right? At one point, I had that solution in my head, but now, you know, 40 years later or whatever, it's gone out the window, um, right? But what would happen if every day you had reread your algebra textbook, right? It would still be there because what was there was brought back to attention. It was returned. It was remembered, right? And so this idea of remembering or about not forgetting, that occurs 12 times throughout this chapter, um, uh, multiple times the author promises to learn uh, what it is that God said, um, and he asks God to teach him. Uh, again, probably as like most of the younger people know, like uh, schooling, teaching, is not a once and done thing, right? I mean, we have 12 grades. That's a long time that it takes to learn things. Continued, sustained commitment towards learning, towards understanding, um, and uh, this idea of learning and of uh, requesting that God teach him, that occurs 14 times throughout the chapters. This idea of meditating, of focused, intentional, mental direction on something. Really focusing on it, really thinking about it. Uh, very clearly and carefully, that occurs eight times. Um, and then also this other language of considering, or I look carefully. You can maybe think about that as like a detective, right, who has what, like a magnifying glass. And he looks very carefully at something. He considers it. He analyzes it. He seeks it out. He tries to understand what's before it. Uh, very deliberate, continued, and sustained mental effort towards God and his ways. That's something that occurs three times uh, throughout the chapter. Now, if I was going to summarize the chapter as a whole and kind of pick one verse, again, that, that it's kind of hard to do, and I, I really struggled with this as, as I was going over the sermon to pick one verse. And so one of the things I did was I picked kind of one of the more popular verses from this. But I think, it again, it illustrates these things that we've been talking about rather nicely. And so this is verse 105. Uh, the writer says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light for my path. I just want to talk about this picture of light very quickly. Um, light in and of itself is good and beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and uh, it's very valuable and it's very important for proper function. Uh, right? If you're not sure what I mean by that, uh, turn off the lights in your house tonight when it's dark and walk around. And you will find that your toes do not function properly anymore, right? As you stub them on things, uh, you'll feel pain. You'll find out that stuff doesn't work. Light is necessary for proper function. You know, God's ways are like that. They're good and they're beautiful. They're designed for your well-being. They're not designed to arbitrarily restrict you. They're designed to help you. 
to help you live life to the fullest. They're good, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, and they're necessary for proper function. If you don't follow God and his ways, you will hurt yourselves and hurt others. What happens if we were to like, you know, if I was to like put half of you guys over here on this side of the room and the other half over here on this side of the room and uh, we made it pitch black in here and I said, all right, I want all of the people over here to get to this side of the room and all the people over here to get to that side of the room. You guys would injure yourselves and you would injure other people, right? Why? Because you can't see. You don't know where you're supposed to go and you don't know where you are. And so you hurt yourself and you hurt others. That's what it means to be lost. To be lost is to not know where you are. Right? And so maybe you're trying to get to the right place, but you don't know the way. And what happens? You hurt yourself and you hurt others. Right? And so God's word is designed to help you navigate these problems of life. To show you where you are. To show you how to treat others so that you don't hurt yourself and you don't hurt other people. It's not designed to hurt you. And so it's important that we see properly the goodness and the necessity of God and his ways, that it be something that we really value, that we see that our lives depend upon it, right? Just like your well-being depends on you being able to see, to move about. Um, now, the other reason that I kind of picked this verse and that I liked it um, is that uh, light, it needs to be used repeatedly and continually, right? You guys didn't, like, turn on the lights in your house once, and then you're like, I now see where things are. Um, I don't need to ever see again, uh, right? No, uh, you need to constantly turn the lights on. You need to remind yourself about where things are. You need to remind yourself of how many steps it is to the kitchen, right? Having the lights, it helps you to navigate that, and it requires constant and continued use. It's not just a once-and-done thing. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I've tried to give us a nice little overview of Psalm 119 about what it talks about, and I've tried to talk about this certain way of living, the stainless steel life and its major limitations. Now, what I want to say is that Psalms 119, more than just kind of preaching or teaching on the limitations of the stainless steel knife, uh, life and telling us how we need to constantly and continually seek God, it also, it doesn't just preach this message of God's goodness um, and our need to continually reflect and embrace it, it actually embodies it. It serves as a living example of that. Um, how long do you think it took the author to write that? It's 176 verses. And it's an acrostic. You guys saw me struggle up here with going through dad, right? With three letters. And this one is 22. 22 letters, right? And they all have about, you know, eight verses or so. Right? It took a long time. What was the author doing while he was writing that? He was living it out. He was constantly reminding himself of God's goodness. He was constantly reminding himself about how he needed to continually meditate on that. And how he needed to follow God's ways. And he was constantly and continually um, uh, bringing these things before him. Right? That's what the author was doing when he wrote it. 
what he was doing was forcing his mind to reflect on these things. How can I talk about God's good goodness and beauty and start it with an A? How can I do that again, starting with an A? How can I do that starting with a B? He's forcing his mind to continually ruminate on God, his ways, and his goodness. Um, and he's directing his mind towards these truths, right? He's not necessarily going out and doing something, but it's what he's thinking about. And so what I want to say is your primary area of freedom concerns, there's like a drum roll, um, uh, where's Austin? I need him. Uh, your primary area of freedom concerns what you will direct or allow your mind to focus on. That's the primary area that you are free. Um, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you are currently angry at your parents? How many of you would like to be? I can tell you how. I can tell you how to be angry at your parents. It'll work every time. You want to know? All right. Think about something they did wrong. Think about some time where you told the truth and they didn't believe you. Think about some time where they punished you and it wasn't you. It was your sibling, right? And don't just think about it once. Think about it again and again and again and constantly go over that. No, they didn't believe me. No, I didn't knock over that tree on Christmas. You know, I told them Bobby did it, but they didn't listen. Keep replay that over and over and over again, and you will become angry. You will become bitter. Right? Your area of freedom concerns what you direct your minds to. Would you like to know how to not be angry at your spouse? Or how to not be angry at your parents? Right? Somebody did something. Somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody did something that was wrong. They accused you. They didn't believe you. And you're thinking about it. Why don't you think about the times where you did something wrong? Why don't you think about the times where you stumbled? Where you didn't believe somebody who was telling the truth? Why don't you think about the good things that your parents did for you? And replay those things over and over and over again. And you'll learn to forgive. And you'll learn to let those things go. You see that? Those ideas of hatred or of animosity or of bad feeling, if we stop feeding them, they die. Because they're not stainless steel. Right? And if what, we, what is good and what is right, if we constantly and continually feed those things, that's what prospers and grows. Right? So primarily what we can do is we can choose what we direct our minds to. And this is one of the first and most important areas of discipleship. Um, and so I have a quote here. Wouldn't it be a sermon for me? Um, oops. Oh, well, well, I did have a quote uh, from Dallas Willard. Um, and so it's a little sad that we missed the Dallas Willard quote. Um, but uh, the quote from Dallas Willard, it talked about how important it is that we direct our mind to God and to his ways. Right? That this first area of discipleship is about continually reflecting on God and his goodness. On giving up, thinking about, and reflecting and ruminating on what pleases us. On stop giving up these old patterns of life. Right? Let's think about a couple verses here. Romans 12 
Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, be transformed according to the renewal of your what? Your heart, your soul, your mind. Be renewed according to your mind. What is it that you're thinking about? What, is false, what does Paul say then in Philippians 4, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. What does Paul say in Colossians 3? Don't fix your mind on the things below. Fix your mind on the things above. Think about God and his kingdom. You have a choice about what it is that you will direct your mind to. Right? And we need to direct it towards those truths. Um, now, what I want to do at this point is just kind of give us some practical um, like suggestions about how we can live this out. How we can do this. Um, and so the, the first thing that I kind of want to talk about here is about um, dedicated time for focus on three fundamental things. These are the three fundamental ways that we have of growing and developing our Christian life. And that is scripture, prayer, and study. Those are the three primary things to do. You need to constantly, continually make the effort to carve time out for these things. Life will not carve time out for you. It will do everything it can to crowd these things out. We don't live in a society that's perfect and wonderful. We live in a society that's broken and fallen, right? And there's people that attack this way of living, and they try and get us to divert our attention to other things. You have to make continued, sustained effort for time, for Scripture, you need to be in your Bible. Read half a chapter a day. Start doing that. Remind yourself about what God said. That's one of the ways that we feed this, that we feed the Christian life. Scripture is incredibly important here. Prayer is another one, right? Where we're focusing on God, on developing that relationship with him, on talking to him about our anger, about our fears, about our concerns, about the areas in which we've stumbled, right? And one of the things that you'll learn is how patient he is, how incredibly patient he is with all of those things, and how much he loves you, and how he longs to do good for you, right? But you need to direct your mind to him and to these things. Um, uh, study. Uh, now, I kind of have that up there uh, there's kind of both a study aspect to Scripture, and there's also a devotional aspect, right? Um, and I think that it's helpful if we keep those separate, right? There's times where we can pray over Scripture where we're asking what it is that God wants to tell us, and we're asking him to speak through his word, right? And there's also um, aspects of study that we can do that will help us to better understand his word, right? So you could go out and you could get a commentary, Right? A good commentary <clears throat> on Matthew or something like that. Right? 
or you could read a book by a good Christian writer like, I don't know, uh, Dallas Willard um, or C.S. Lewis or somebody like that, uh, right? And you can study them. You can study the lives of saints. You can read like a book that goes over like a whole bunch of the martyrs, like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, and, uh, and so study is an important part of this. Uh, but there's other things that we can do too. You could write your own acrostic. If you guys are interested in poetry or you write this, how about do something like describe God and go through the alphabet. Adorable. Not in the sense of a puppy is adorable, right? But in the sense of deserving of our adoration, right? Beautiful. Caring devoted, right? You could go through the whole alphabet that way. You could do your own acrostic. Um, and that would be one way of devoting your uh, mind, your time, your attention to these truths. Um, you could also paraphrase a verse. This is something I've pers personally found very, very helpful for me, um, is to read a verse and to kind of put it in your own words. God so loved the world. Well, who are the people in the world? Drug addicts. God so loved drug addicts. He so loved selfish people. God so loved prideful people. God so loved angry, impatient, inconsiderate people that he gave his son. Right? He sent his son into the world to save it. You can go through the whole verse of John 3.16 that way. And you can put it in your own words. So John 3.16, that's a pretty good place to start. Uh, Psalm 23, that's a good one. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Right? Uh, um, <clears throat> for Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. What does that mean? God, you are the person who watches over me. You're the person who takes care of me. And because of that, I lack nothing. There's nothing that I need that I don't have. You will provide for me. You will trust me. You can paraphrase verses and put it in your own words. That's a way of reflecting, of directing your mind to the attention of these truths. Um, you can tape a verse to your phone. Now, I, I want to get uh, a little personal real quick, okay? I want to talk about what you do in the bathroom. Not, not with too much detail, uh, right? Uh, but I, I, I know, statistically speaking, what a lot of people do in the bathroom. And it looks something like this. Is that continued, sustained focus on God and his word? What are we feeding? Is there a way that we could better use that time? What if we developed a, like, no phones in the bathroom policy, right? Or what if you got, like, a little three-by-five card and you put it in front? And before you're allowed to look at this, you have to look at this, right? There are practical things that we can do that will help us to direct our mind on God and his truth and to reflect and focus on those things. Um, small groups. Uh, you know, the community of believers is incredibly important, right? 
just like in learning and growing in any particular area, it often involves other people helping us. You guys probably didn't learn algebra by yourselves. You probably didn't learn a foreign language by yourselves. Other people do it, whether through them writing a book, through them speaking with you, through them helping you, through them teaching you. It takes other people. Life involves other people. And so uh, who are you close to? Where are you investing in relationships? And where can we do that with fellow Christians? Um, <clears throat> now, uh, in closing us, I, I kind of want to do two things. Um, I actually paraphrased uh, one part of Psalm 119. Uh, so I'm going to read that. And I want this to sort of be like our prayer uh, to God, our promise to him. And then uh, in closing for the benediction, I'm going to read uh, uh, the doxology from Jude. But before we do these two things, let me just pray real quickly. Dear Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Lord, we do recognize and confess that your ways are right, that your ways are good, and that our well-being is dependent on us following and obeying you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for all the times where we have uh, focused our lives on other things. Lord, for how we've treated you and our walk with you is kind of falling under the stainless steel lifestyle of something that's not worthy of our continued and sustained effort. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, new hearts, that you would soften our hearts that you would scrape off the old. Lord, we pray that you would bless our meager efforts. Lord, we recognize that we can't do anything to earn um, <clears throat> a relationship with you. But Lord, we recognize that you have given us a part to play. You have given us some freedom, and we want to offer that back to you. We want to direct our minds to thinking about you and your ways. And we ask that as we do this, you would work in our hearts and our minds and change us, that you would transform us into being people who are like your son, Lord, the perfect person. That's in your name we pray, amen. All right, now let's, uh, uh, let's do our uh, uh, sort of benediction and doxology. Lord, listen to our call for help. Give us an understanding of you and your ways. Listen to our request. Save us according to your good and faithful promises. Please teach us to follow you and fill us up to overflowing with praise for you and your goodness. Your plans and instructions for us are so good that we shout with joy. Please take our hand and help us. Guide us because we have chosen you. We long for you to come and set things right. And we delight in your instructions for living. They are good, really good. Let us live and we will live for you. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.